This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 204. Not bad, Dave. I don't think there really is a minimum age. I started really looking at real estate very seriously when I was like 17, 18, and I was reading, you know, reading books and, you know, self-educating on YouTube. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Dave Meyer, guest host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. Brandon Turner. <laughs> well do done. I sound like Josh? You do sound <laughs> a lot like Josh, you know, a little bit less... Uh, I don't know, a little bit. Well, I'll say you sound a little taller and better looking than Josh, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just the sound. It's, it's actually reality. It is. Yeah, that, that is very much reality. Well, I, uh, I'm <laughs> excited to have you here again. You're actually on. So Dave is a guest hosting two episodes of the podcast, this one and the one that comes out next week. Uh, Josh had a last minute family kind of health thing to deal with. So he's, I had to run out of town and uh, Dave gratefully, is that the word, came in to, to help co or host. <laughs> Yeah, sure. So, here. you're here, and uh, we're gonna have a good time today. We're talking with an investor who is young. I mean, actually, this week and next week, both investors are young. Chris Gill is our guest today. He's 25 years old. Uh, has done over 30 deals, just crushing it. Unbelievable. I mean, I, you know, I think you and I are about the same age, give yep. or take, and I feel like both doing pretty well. But these guys who are 25, 26, right in, it's just unbelievable how successful they've been in just a couple of years. Yeah, I know. I'm like, man, why didn't I do that when I was 25? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> when did you actually get started? Uh, I was 21 when I bought my first deal. So, oh, I just, so you've been, yeah. I've been doing a little while, but I've been, you know, about a decade. But yeah, I, I just, I started a lot slower than these guys. I think a big part of it too is and I'm not saying it's all bigger pockets or anything like that, but I mean, like when I started, all I had was books, right? Like it was like I had a problem, I had a book I could read or whatever, yeah. you know, and then I discovered bigger pockets. But like these guys, like, I mean, even myself and you as well, like we listen to another podcast and every week there's new people who are sharing like this new strategy that's working for them. And uh, I don't know, I, I think that helps people scale a lot better when they can see how other people are scaling. Absolutely. You just get a sense of confidence. Like they know that they can do it. They've read all the books. They've read the forums. They they really understand what they're doing. I think Chris is an awesome example of that. He's a guy who really knows what he's talking about. He's a really broad depth of knowledge about real estate. He clearly knows the financial side of it, knows how to analyze a deal. And he's translated that knowledge into real monetary success. Yeah. Yeah. And he's also got guts, you know, like he, he takes on some big rehabs. We talk about that later in the show about just these massive rehabs that he's doing and uh, and the, the pretty amazing profit he's making on those. So, you know, big risk, big reward. Well said. I mean, I've been scared to try my first flip for like <laughs> four years now, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to look at one on Friday. So maybe this will oh, be nice. the one. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's about time. Back. Come on, Dave, hurry it up. Yeah, I got to get in there. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into this thing. Before we go any further, why don't we talk about today's quick, quick tip. Tip. All right. All right. Today's quick tip is to fill out your bigger pockets profile completely. My job at Bigger Pockets is a lot about figuring out how to help people succeed on the site. One of the things we see all the time is that people who fill out their profile get more colleague requests, get more votes, and are generally more active in the bigger pockets community. So if you're looking to network, just start getting into real estate. Our tip this week is to fill out your bigger pockets profile completely. 
Very good. And it's definitely true. I mean, Dave is our like data nerd here at Bigger Pockets, our growth nerd. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he knows this stuff. He sees the magic behind the scenes. Just, so. Yes. Lots yeah. of charts. Yes. <laughs> Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. If you're in the landlord game, then you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where RentReady steps in. Now, RentReady's got an important new feature, proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. Say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with RentReady. RentReady is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for $1. You can't beat that. I actually don't even know how they make money doing that, but it's above my pay grade, pal. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor, like me, to get six months of Rent Ready for $1, which is crazy. You might think you want real estate. But that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from six, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com slash VP. Connectinvest.com slash VP. So, should we get into this thing? Let's do it. All right. So, uh, today's guest is, uh, I think we mentioned Chris Gill, and Chris is awesome, and he is crushing it at 25. He's investing down in San Antonio. Uh, he was a filmmaker that turned entrepreneur, turned real estate investor, developer, and he's doing some pretty amazing things. Started with rentals, did some flips, all that stuff. We're going to hear his whole story today, and even how he got into development as well. And again, all at the age of 25 and younger, so pretty awesome stuff. So let's do it. Let's bring him in. All right, Chris, welcome to the show. How you doing, man? Awesome. Thanks for having me on. It's fun to be here. Yeah, this should be cool. This should be cool. And I know you've, uh, you've been following the Bigger Pockets podcast for a long time. Isn't that right? Yeah, absolutely. This was from way back when you just start Googling and you're like, how do I buy a house when I have no money? And <laughs> you come across something called Bigger Pockets and you're like, I want a bigger pocket and it all flows <laughs> into there. So yeah, this is a neat 
full circle experience for me. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I mean, it's kind of that way for me too, right? I found bigger pockets when I was, you know, just beginning my real estate journey and kind of used it to help, uh, you know, do what I've done today. So that's pretty cool. So anyway, well, let's get into this thing. First question I like to ask everybody, of course, is how did you get into real estate and what was your first deal like? Yeah. So I think real estate kind of, it's always, I mean, it's obviously all around us all the time. We all live in real estate and kind of got into it, I guess, from coming through and doing a lot of film work. And I had a film company, I was doing that full time and and really enjoyed that, but realized very quickly that that is a service-based industry. And we all love the term passive income and what that can do to create for our lifestyle and for everything. And, and film is not passive income. You're, you're absolutely, you're working your butt off for every dollar you make. And it's a lot of fun. But if you want any scalability, if you want to go anywhere else, if you want to do anything except for film, you, you're going to need to find something that allows you that time freedom. And, and I didn't, didn't see that in film. So if, Continued doing film and loved that, but begin to phase in the real estate. And as I was researching things, I know there's the Forbes 400 list, and you see that the majority or a lot of the billionaires started in real estate and that there have been more self-made millionaires in real estate than anything else. And I guess that all just really spoke to my young 21-year-old heart and plunged in. <laughs> That's awesome. So what so was started, the first yeah, thing you did? So started yeah. out as an agent trying to figure out what the heck was going on and you know, how do you fill out a contract and you know, didn't dad didn't do real estate, didn't have people directly around me doing it. And so that was, I think, really beneficial and not the way everyone has to go. And there's definitely reasons to or to not be a licensed agent, but it was definitely a huge learning experience for me and just, you know, going around and following the market and really drilling in and finding areas that, that made sense to me. And as I found my niches in investing and developing and the things that made sense to me. And so, yeah, starting out as a realtor was a huge, a really good experience. Okay. Do you recommend, I mean, like there's a lot of people listening to the show right now who have never bought a single deal and they're really, I mean, I get that question all the time. Should I get my license first or not? Should I go get it? What would you say to those people? I think you should think about where you want to go long-term before you make that decision. And so, I mean, there's so many levels to real estate and you can just do it, obviously a couple rental houses to give you some extra income, or you can say, Hey, I'm going to go into this full time and I'm going to be an active investor or developer full time. And so I think figure out where you want to go is a really important thing. And then looking at who you already know, because I didn't know people in my local area who were actively doing this. And so the, the obvious first step for me was, well, we all know a realtor or two, and I know they're at least partially involved in some level of real estate. So I, I think it, I think definitely even just taking the classes, I've actually directed several people that have come to me for coaching and saying, okay, just go take real estate principles one and two in whatever state you're in. You'll learn so much about basic contracts and laws and deeds and surveys. And so I think a lot of the education is definitely beneficial, even if you don't go all the way to the point of getting licensed and then the that whole process of actually selling it. I think moving forward and, and not doing that necessarily, you can more quickly get into deals and not get hung up by being a realtor for other people. So did you know that you wanted to be an investor when you were becoming a broker or did you become a broker and start seeing people investing and think you could do it yourself? No, that the, the investing was a long-term plan. I was, you know, I, I knew that helping people showing houses and being having no weekends and no holidays didn't sound like a lot of fun. And definitely not why I'd go from film to being a realtor. So it was, <laughs> yeah. it was definitely a transition period. And some people love it. Just I knew it wasn't for me. Okay. So you became a real estate agent. And then at some point, you bought your first deal. What did that look like? Yeah. So looked around. And it was my sponsoring broker at the time who brought the deal to me and said, hey, you should check this out. I know you've been looking for some rental property. And listed on the market for 120000 And I ended up buying it for sixty eight. So um Pretty good wow. discount there off of yeah what they were trying to sell it for. Now where are you located? 
So we're in, yeah, South Texas, San Antonio, okay. um, kind of along the 35 quarter, Dallas, Houston, Austin, and then San Antonio down here at the bottom. Okay. And so how do you get a house that listed at 120 some for 60 some? How's that, how'd that work? It, it, the classical deferred maintenance, inheritance, didn't want it, been on the market, scared other people away with a lot of deferred maintenance and, you know, said, hey, we're really ready to finally sell this. They reached the point of maximum pain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, we're, and we're just ready to unload it. So that's cool. And so how did you finance that? Did you uh, get a traditional mortgage, cash? So, yeah, that was through a traditional mortgage. So it's one to four. So you can still finance those through, you know, all the conventional FHA, you know, loan platforms, which is, I think, a great place for a lot of people to start because you can see something that gives you, obviously, rental income as well as potentially, you know, allowing you to be the investor and the homeowner all at the same time. And it's a little bit of a, a less scary way to move into investing. Sure. And was that, was that, you said a single family house that one was, or was that a multifamily? So it was, it was multifamily. It was a fourplex. Okay. It, been, oh, it was awesome. a single family one time and broken up into a fourplex. Oh, that's so, awesome. Um, and walked into uh, three tenants already there, one vacant unit that needed to be rehabbed and rehabbed that and had the whole thing rocking and rolling pretty quickly. So That's awesome. So it sounds like there was a lot of deferred maintenance or neglect, you could call it, for that property and scared a lot of people away. What did you see that made you confident that this was going to be a good deal? That's a great question. It goes back to me having spent the time to really research your markets. And I know so many people have you know total paralysis and they keep on looking and analyzing at deals and you got to make that jump but me having spent about six to nine months learning the market this was an area that was definitely up and coming but it was like pre-up and coming because and because i was already doing things full time i could see that i think this area would work and if you've heard of the river walk this is backs up to where the river walk is so it's on the river but just a little like a mile or two south of where that is. So it's a very, you know, unique property from that location and in the hood at the moment, but in an area that's definitely heading in a positive direction. So that allowed me to say, hey, you know, I, I this is going to be a little bit of a long-term thing for me. I'm not necessarily planning to sell it right away. And I think this area just by the mere fact that's on the river, you know, is going to create some value there. Now, did you live in the property at all or is it just an investment? Yeah. So bought it, never ended up living there, considered it for a while, but just never worked out and, and had people paying the mortgage on it. So that yeah. was cool too. <laughs> right, so, so what about mistakes? Like what, what do you, when you look back on that very first deal, what do you wish you would have known going into that, you know, looking back now, when was this by the way, maybe I'll ask that first question. Yeah. This is a little bit over three years ago now. Okay. So looking back three years ago, what do you wish you could tell yourself then about that very first deal? Hire a property management company. Really? <laughs> I think that I, or, or really come up with a system for self-management. And, and I think that's something that at least I initially was just super excited and wanted to get there and fix the place up and see the cash flow. And it all seemed super cool and happy. And then you, you get into the weeds of learning, hey, you need to make sure you're screening your tenants and you need to make sure you have a process for collecting the rent. You don't want to be going down there every month. You need to train your tenants to do your system, not be working off of whatever broken system they've been operating off of. So right off the bat, I would say that is that is huge. And to find a way to incorporate folks to to help you with that process, especially if that's not the avenue of real estate you come from. Yeah. You just mentioned the word broken system, like you know, getting the tenants off their broken system. And I found that time and time and time again. Anytime you buy yeah. a property yeah, that has existing tenants, you get those inherited tenants tenants there, like they almost always are part of a broken system. And sometimes it's a yep. very, very badly broken system. And sometimes like it's hell to get them out of that system. Oh, and sometimes yeah. you, have, you lose them. Sometimes sometimes you have to evict them and spend thousands of dollars. And it's just something to look at, make sure you know going into a deal is 
if there are inherited tenants, know that there will be broken systems that you have to try to fix. That's so true. I've never had to evict a tenant I've screened myself, but I yep. have had to evict inherited tenants yep. multiple yep. times. Yep. And, and I was super stoked about getting tenants. I was like, oh my gosh, I get tenants right when I walk in the door. This is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that may be a little bit of a fallacy for people starting out. And there's, there can definitely be a lot of benefit if you, you know, budget for three months of downtime or something like that to properly screen, get the right people in there. I think you might even save time and, and definitely money from having to go and correct someone else's bad mistakes. Yeah, good point. So did you wind up actually hiring a property management company or are you self-managing still? So yeah, I've, I've moved away and, and sold the smaller rentals that I had, you know, moving forward toward the scale and the absolute awesome benefit of having a property management company when you have larger rental units, I would say 30 units and above. So, you know, currently we've moved from the rentals to a lot of development and, and new builds and a lot of flips. But then looking as we're saying, okay, we want to move back to the rental and saying, okay, we need to find units large enough so we can definitely have the on-site property management and maintenance because that just makes our lives way easier. Okay. So. So, so, so since that deal, let's recap your, the last three years then. What, like, what's your, been your strategy? Have you been just buying more rentals? Are you in the flipping or what do you do? Yeah. So it, it started out with the rental and saying, you know, you want passive income and then saying, okay, I, I can't make enough passive income to keep buying more properties. So you got to go out and generate more income. That's either with a full-time job for a lot of people. Or I said, okay, I think I'm going to try and get into the flipping game. And so I guess about three or four months after the fourplex, I bought a the first rehab house, a little 1200 square foot buster and cranked through that one and got it sold. And yeah, so just scaled up the, the rehabbing side of the business and then began looking to add in the new build side of the business as well. Interesting. So how many total deals have you done so far? Would you guess? We're in the middle of six or seven redos right now. So probably mid thirties, wow. I would say. Wow. That is wow. definitely scaling up that business. So in the last few years you've, you've done, and most of those are flips you're saying. The majority, yeah, the vast majority of those are flips. There were some other rentals, you know, some little rental packages, but realized that, you know, without the economy of scale, it makes, it makes managing single family rentals or even duplexes. It can be very difficult. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. So you keep saying we, do you have partners or are you doing this yourself? Yeah. So that's another great thing is (laughs) going back to your question. What would you do differently is starting. And this is, I continue to learn this, the farther down the business you go, but creating that team. And I know it's, you know, been said hundreds of times, but it really is so important because there's all things that we're great at and there's things we're lousy at, and and you got to be able to fill in those holes because just because you're not good, at something doesn't mean it's not important. And yeah. so I think quickly finding the people. So we've got two people working with me full time right now, and and contractors who pretty much work with me full time, and um, developing that team and you know bringing in professionals has been really really helpful as well. Awesome. And how did you go about finding those people? I think that's one of the most common questions and challenges most real estate investors is how do you find people who you can trust and rely on long term? Well, I don't want to consider three years long term. So we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, just, uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed for see, you. Yeah, see how we're doing. But I think, you know, tapping market, if you have friends, obviously, if you have, I think when anyone gets into real estate investing, it's, it's such a sexy thing to be doing right now, which makes our jobs easier and more difficult at the same time. But I think you will have, at least I had lots of people come to me and say, hey, I've seen your 
your pictures. I've seen your videos. I've seen this. I've seen that. You know, what are you doing? And hey, here's what I know how to do. And I came from a business background or I came from an accounting background or I've been doing property management for somebody. You know, what, what are the things? Is there a way that we could work together? So that was a large part of it, just tapping the network of people that I already knew. And, and then just getting more and more connected with the community. Obviously, having having friends who are realtors was beneficial. You know, they're going to know property managers. They're going to know attorneys and, and just beginning to build your network, I think, is incredibly important. Yeah, right on. I definitely agree. I mean, building that network and it's kind of like a continual thing. It's not like, you know, I think a lot of people get this misconception about your team. It's like the superhero team you like assemble and then you go out and do your, your real estate. It's like, well, I can't get started. I don't have my team yet. It's like, well, you know, your, your, your team, like building a team is a continual process. I'm building my team today. I was building it yesterday. I'm doing it tomorrow. And, uh, you know, it's always like everywhere you go, everything, every person you talk to is a potential future member of your team or maybe not. You know, you're always networking. I'm always thinking in the back of my head, you know, is this someone I could work with at some point? And how can we make this, you know, how can we make each other money? And now I've literally found people that I thought would work well in an aspect of the business that don't necessarily educate in real estate. And I said, hey, let me educate you on this or go to this conference or read this book or get on bigger pockets, you know, and start educating yourself do you have an interest in doing X, Y, or Z, you know, with me? And what would this look like? And is this something we could talk about, you know, three, six months down the road as you've begun your education process? So that's cool too. Yeah. And you mentioned having a couple of people that work on your team right now that are like, are they employees of yours? Like what do they do and what does that look like? Right. So I have one guy who's helping me a lot with the, the business side of things, going back and saying, hey, we, you know, accounting when you're spending $100,000 plus per month in renovation costs. There's just a lot <laughs> yeah. of money flying around and you got to know where it's all going. And, and so going back and really getting the accounting side of things down and just a lot of logistical business things. So, I mean, my role has morphed much more into, you know, deal analyzing, talking to new private investors who are potentially interested in working with us, talking to the city as we're working inside of city limits. And some of these are historic districts with even more historic oversight by the city. So focusing on those core competencies and then saying, okay, the actual management of the job sites, I don't go to all my houses anymore. You know, I'm, I'm not at them, some of them like once a week and I'm just popping in, making sure everything's looking good and just doing a little quality control. So yeah, I got someone handling a lot of the construction stuff and someone handling a lot of helping with the business logistics of everything. Okay, very cool. And what do you guys use to track your bookkeeping? Do you know, I mean, like your, your paperwork and all the financials that are going in and out? Do you guys just use spreadsheets or do you have some fancier software? Yeah, there's some really good spreadsheets out there that you can you can purchase and you can customize. I mean, there's a yeah, myriad of options. So I mean, it's a combination of Excel spreadsheets and um, an app called Trello which has been really helpful. Yeah, for, we use that as well. Love for, Trello. <laughs> yeah, for lists. I mean, we just, we that's our first round whenever a contractor gets a check or an invoice or anything. It's literally a picture dropped into Trello for that job. You know, it's all broken down based off weeks, you know, so as you're moving through the, um, the renovation process and then that's either exported to the Excel spreadsheet or to QuickBooks or something like that. That's kind of cool. Right on. So. Awesome. So let's uh, let's jump into the the flipping that you've been doing. How did you transition from the first rental properties into flipping, and how did you start finding those deals? So I didn't know anything about construction. So that's probably a hopefully an encouraging thing to some of the folks listening because <laughs> yeah. if you're willing to get your hands dirty and learn, there's a lot of resources out there for that. So I mean, that unit in the fourplex that I purchased, I did almost all the renovating on it myself. So I mean, I did a little electrical, a little plumbing you know, laid floors, painted. Um, so that was kind of the trial by fire. And I knew it was a rental and I could hopefully get somebody in there at some price. <laughs> but then, yeah, moved to the, the home renovation, the flipping. And 
you know, for the first couple of projects, I was there every single day from eight to six, you know, all day long with the contractors, you know, helping out with the demo, whatever I could, being a gopher, you know, a lot of the time just helping, keeping them running and getting them supplies. But I think that's another area that you could definitely, you know, with finding a team. I didn't hire a GC for a long time. I did all of that. And that works and you do save money, but you limit yourself and your scale. And, you know, I found you're really at three to four projects going at the same time. I was tapped out and had zero time for anything you know, no bookkeeping, no finding new deals, nothing, just trying to keep these darn houses going. And so finding, you know, figuring out the upper level stuff that you're good at and then kind of breaking it down by how much is this job worth per hour, essentially, and is it worthwhile for me to be doing the $10, 12 $15 an hour job when I can hire some of that and I can manage three or four of those. So yeah, just, it was a trial by fire, learned a lot on the job, talked to a lot of contractors, fired a lot of contractors and, you know, developing a, a team that, no, so I know enough to be dangerous now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so not knowing anything, what what were your criteria for deals when you first started? Were you driving around, driving for dollars? Were you looking on the MLS? Yeah. I mean, the first deal was an on MLS, on market deal. It was a HUD home. So you, you got on there. I'm sure you've all worked the HUD homes. You, you submit your bid and you find out a couple of days later if you get the house and there's the the closing process and then you're off to the races. So that was that was the first one. And and then it really just became a combination. I think there's a huge benefit to if you're working on a house, go to the other house on the block, leave them a flyer, say, hey, I'm I'm working, I'm redoing this house. If you if you want to sell it, let me know. And I've found multiple houses that way is so and so has a house down the road or down the block. So I mean I've done 10, 15 houses in the same neighborhood with all within a you know half mile to a mile raise of each other from a lot of that kind of you know boots on the ground marketing. That's fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, again, it's just if people see a house getting fixed up and it, it builds that trust with the community, they're like, oh, yeah, you're working on that one. Oh, you're not just some scammer that's coming into like you're actually doing good in this neighborhood. You know, I want to I, you know, I want to sell mine. My brother wants to sell his whatever. It's just like I love that idea. I'm going to definitely start doing that. I, I've never done that, but I'm going to every rehab that we do, I'm going to go and just canvas the neighborhood and just put up little door flyers or something like that just to get people's name out there. I love that. So cool. Yeah. And once you, and once you build that consistency, I mean, you know, I now have almost as many deals. We're trying to buy about two deals a month at this point, you know, for the rehabs as well as the new builds. And so, I mean, now it's become remarkably easy to find really good deals because enough people I've been here, I've been doing it a little while and I've been working in very small areas. You know, my target areas, it's only like a two or three mile radius total. And I really don't even look at stuff outside there or I wholesale it. And, and so when you develop that concentrated focus, you can definitely develop a name for yourself real quickly by the people that are actively investing or wholesaling or live in that area. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, you, you mentioned you, you didn't know a lot of what you're doing when you started out and you didn't know how to fix up a house or anything like that. So a lot of, a lot of the fear that people have when they're getting into rehabbing or even rental properties that need a rehab on them is estimating the rehab costs. People get very... Mm-hmm like scared of what if I screw that up? Because I mean, I've screwed that up. I've been off by yeah. 30 grand before. And so like, oh, yeah. how did you overcome that? Did you over, I mean, did you make some big mistakes? And then like, how can our listeners, how can they be able to estimate accurately rehab costs? Talk to people that are doing it full time, you know, get, get the contractors out there. You know, I've, I've gotten on Home Depot and Lowe's and what I'm trying to figure out, okay, is this a reasonable price for materials? You know, I've just added up, okay, we have this much drywall, Here's what it costs per sheet. You got your tape, you got your mud. It's pretty, you know, simple. So you can get real, you know, real down and dirty about calculating that and then saying, well, hell, is it, is this really worth $15 a foot that this guy's charging me just for labor? I know materials only this much, you know, 
So getting really practical with that is definitely beneficial. But I mean, getting as many eyes on it. I mean, the first couple of deals, I brought two or three or four other people out there who were either in the business, you know, doing rehabs or just contractors and said, hey, you know, can you help me kind of estimate this stuff? And and then initially being very on top of the projects, I think was huge. You know, my first two deals, we came in pretty dramatically under budget, which I think is rare. And I think that was really because I was, you know, there full time and, you know, probably went a little bit overboard on trying to make sure we were doing things as least expensive as possible. So, but I mean, finding a balance there, but I think if you're, if you, you know, get as many eyes as you can on the project and then, you know, try and be very active in the management of it until you develop the system, until you feel confident about estimating those costs. Yeah. And that goes back to the that networking too. Again, you know, you build those relationships with contractors and you get a lot better shot of them coming out to help you, even if they aren't going to get the job or even if they know not that it probably won't work out. Yeah. yeah. They might still come out and help you out because they, they see you as somebody who's, I mean, not just a business thing, but maybe a friend or at least like a, you know, somebody they can, you know, go hang out with for an hour to go look at a property. I mean, it's all, again, it's mm-hmm. all networking and, and meeting people. That's very cool. Well, so speaking and of contracts. of scale too are really cool because if you have three or four yeah. houses going and you can show, you know, I was meeting with a new contract a couple of days ago and he looked at one house and I said, I literally am buying four other houses within half a mile over here in the next six weeks, yeah. you know, and everybody's lies eyed up. And yep, it yep. Gets, you know, there's, there's an excitement there for saying, you know, makes their life easier because they're not having to go out and do the marketing. And if they realize they cultivate that relationship with you, that is a, a chance for repeat business, which is very unique about what we're doing opposed to a traditional person because you're only going to be renovating your home once every, you know, decade or so. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. So can you tell us a little bit about the characteristics of these flips? How big are they? What are some of the financials that are going into these? So, yeah, I mean, most of these homes, because I've chosen, there's you know a lot of ways to flip. And the way I've found that maximizes the return really at the end of the day is I literally look for the worst house on the block. And those are the <laughs> ones I go after. And I mean, and we're talking, you know, we just finished one that was 10 40 yard dumpsters, you know, Whoa. and it was I mean, there was trash oh deep in the house. <laughs> I mean, these are absolutely like the worst houses you can possibly get. And I mean, so you're essentially building a new house that just has some studs left and maybe some historic features if it's in an older area. But that was for a reason the angle I decided to start with. And because a lot of them are older houses, so it's, I mean, a complete gut job. You're, You're redoing the entire interior floor plan. Adding square footage a lot of the time has become a really great way to maximize value when an area gets hot and everyone's excited about it. You can actually pay more on the per square foot price of the existing footprint if you can know that you can sell this for 170 a foot but you can add on for 50 or 60 a foot and you can cover up a lot of you know size issues with the house potentially and you can beat people in the bidding process if there's you know a lot of people looking at it and you can pay more than it's currently worth but adding square footage is a great way to to make those numbers work. So how do you do that? I mean, how do you add square footage? Are you talking about like adding a, a second floor or are you adding an addition on the side of the house or all of the above? Yes. I mean, any any and all of the above. I mean, most of them are, you know, if you have the size of lots, easier not to do a second floor because you can maintain the, the existing roof and whatnot that's already there. But yeah, I mean, popping it out the back and adding another four or 500 square feet, putting a master suite on the back or, you know, the options are, are really endless there. But that's proven to be very, very beneficial and what we're doing. Okay. So if you're, if you're looking at the worst house you can find, I mean, is there, is there a level that you won't tackle? Like, are you like, you know, I won't deal with a messed up foundation (laughs) or I won't deal with, you know, X, Y, and Z. Like, is there anything that's too bad? I mean, that would, it'd all be a price thing. So really no, (laughs) to be honest with you. I mean, we've done stuff that had fires and I mean, everything in it. And it's just, you know, you make your money on the buy and that's very true. And that'll cover up a myriad of sins and a lot of problems 
when you're in the weeds of the house if you got a great deal on it. So, you know, you can be looking at much bigger numbers on the sale end, and that's really exciting, but you got to realize that a lot of the times that will definitely get shrunk down if you're taking on these crazy projects that are, you know, eight to 12 to 15 weeks in time frame. It's not a lipstick flip at all. It's much more comprehensive. Yeah. And do you think because of that, like I, I get the feeling most flippers are looking for the lipstick, the paint and carpet, and that's it. You mm-hmm. know, let's put 15 grand in and walk away. Like, do you consider that like a competitive advantage that you have then is because you're willing to do all this? It's definitely unique. I mean, it, for the majority, I think there's definitely a differentiating factor by, you know, trying to find something that everyone else isn't going in. Yeah, it's a little more difficult, but I mean, is that, you know, can you create your business and scale your business around the more comprehensive flips opposed to lipstick flips? And, you know, then it's just a balance of saying, okay, you know, if it takes me three lipstick flips in the time frame to get one of these real comprehensive ones, the numbers still work. And I think that's changed a little bit market to market, but yeah, the comprehensive ones have definitely been a a unique thing. And, and people notice, I mean, people are like, this is, you know, this is a totally different house. It's a brand new product. And, and I like that from a quality standpoint, just saying, Hey, I want these to look a certain way. And if you're working with really tight budgets and saying, I can, you know, the deal fails with a $5,000 overage. I don't want to do those deals. And I'd much rather take on a little bit more work, but have that protection on the side end. Cause I know that I can produce a product that I'm really happy with at the end of the day. Yeah, that makes sense. That's awesome. And Chris, how long did you say it takes for an average flip for these comprehensive deals? So we've gotten them down. I mean, we started at definitely the the three to six month time frame, and we're consistently between eight and twelve weeks. You know, we're putting eighty thousand dollars in a house, pretty average. So wow, uh, you're, you're scheduling them out, but you're you're cranking through them. Yeah. And do you do you factor that in when you're trying to figure out what you're going to bid for a house? How long it's going to take you to actually turn around and sell it? Absolutely. No. And I think that's a huge thing people do not factor in is holding costs and the time and then the vandalism or the theft or even taxes, you know, and, and usually don't even pay the taxes because they're prorated. So you kind of have those mitigated and they're hidden in the buy and the sell. But you, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're in a house for a year, you know, if, you're, if your redo gets way behind and it's too comprehensive, you know, you can lose thousands, tens of thousands of dollars, especially if it's a hard money loan, you're not doing it all the way cash. And no, so calculating holding yeah. times is, is incredibly important. I did a, uh, I did a flip one time and uh, I did turn a duplex into a single family house and it was amazing. We put a, you know, a, a good job on it, but it took me a year to fix the thing up and another year to actually sell it. So I held it for two yeah. years and I used a, what was it? 12% hard money loan on it. And Ooh. then I, I Ooh. used, yeah, like 40 grand in credit card, credit cards <laughs> oh, no. to fund it. Yeah. So you can imagine the holding costs alone on that property. I think I spent like 30 grand on holding costs, like stupid. Yeah. And like that made that deal from a positive to a drastic negative. And yeah. uh, I should have known that going into it. I should have analyzed it and been like, you know what? This is, this, I mean, this is a 4,000 square foot house. So I'm going to do it myself. This is going to take a while. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. yeah, stupid. But So that actually brings up a good question. You mentioned hard money loans. Are you doing any private lending or are you doing this all about cash? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously started out, I started out with 15,000 bucks with that first fourplex was my, my down payment and closing costs on that. That was the chunk that was put into that very first deal. And um, that's grown pretty substantially now in three years, which is super exciting. But yeah, I mean, hard money is fantastic for what it is because it is a, allows, you know, a relatively low barrier to entry for this business. And that's, I mean, incredible that you can, you know, with very basic criteria, you know, a couple thousand bucks in the bank and a reasonable credit score, you can try and roll the dice and play this game. And I think that's a huge benefit, but I mean, definitely needs to be approached with caution because it is expensive. And, you know, if you mess up, it's going to be difficult to recoup that. 
Um, you, so yeah, hard money's fantastic, but you know, moving on to other sources of financing is, is great as well. Yeah, I was going to say, are you still using hard money or are you using other things now? So I mean, the hard money people I still work with, we've negotiated better deals than we were at as, as they've seen a track record of, you know, I've never lost my own deal so far, yeah. knock on wood, wherever yeah. that is. <laughs> and, um, and so yeah, I mean, working with that, but I think there's an amazing opportunity today, especially with all the volatility in the stock market and all the fear that's out there that if you can present a reasonable pro forma and a reasonable plan for real estate investing, there are people that will absolutely give you money. And, and it's surprising me the number of wealthy people that I meet who are really good at some industry that don't have a plan for what they're going to do with their money. And they like the idea of real estate, but they don't have the time. And, and I think you know, once you have a little bit of a track record, going to them and approaching them and saying, hey, I have, I have an investment opportunity is, is huge. And that's, you know, 2017 and on doing 90%, you know, if not all of my business simply with private investors. That's awesome. And again, that circles back to the networking we talked about earlier. Like it's just so key in every part of this business. We're talking about the the acquisitions, the rehabs, the everything. It's all about, you know, who you know and the networking you got. So that's, that's very cool. That's, that's awesome. So do you have a, do you have a profit that you want to make on every deal? You're like, this is minimum I'll make, or what's your average? If you don't mind me asking. Minimum, I would say is 35. I mean, we've, we've made, pretty close to six figures profit on a, on a project before Wow! with the comprehensive redos, we, we average over 50 on the redos. And again, that number sounds great, but got to calculate in complexity, you know, so you're going to, you know, if you, if you bet more, if you bet on a risky stock and you want to invest in that, you can potentially make more. So if you don't want to do the comprehensive redo, you might not make as much. So there's definitely that aspect of it. And then the holding time, if it is a more comprehensive redo, so the 50 or 60 or 70,000 gets shrunk down by the number of months and the number of other factors in there can happen very quickly. So, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, so, so you've been doing all these flipping, you've got, you know, 30 some deals. Uh, you mentioned that you're also moving into new builds so that you've been doing some new mm-hmm. builds. Can we, can we jump over there and talk about like, why did you decide to get into development and uh, how does that look? Absolutely. Yeah. So it comes back at least for me as saying, where do you want this business to go long-term? And for me, I'm 25, been doing this, you know, full time for three years now. And, and I plan to have a giant real estate company and that's not everyone's goal, but that is my goal. And so going back to that, saying, okay, you got to figure out scale, right? I mean, I maxed myself out personally at three to four deals at a time. So I got to bring on someone else to help me with the construction. And then you start to realize you're maximizing the number of deals that you can do for the rehabbing and the flipping in your local market. If all you're going to be doing is the rehabs and there's, you know, every, everybody that watches HGTV or DIY, I mean, a little single family rental or a single family flip is the first thing that gets, that's, that's where 90% of people start, I would say in real estate investing. So figuring out ways that you can ante up your business goes back to being able to scale. And so as you're finding areas, especially if you're working in an urban area, which I think is insulated and protected a lot of from economic downturns. And there's a lot of reasons why I think, you know, dense urban spaces provide a lot of benefit and protection for real estate investors that now you have land as a scarcity. But if you can do new builds, you can pop, you know, 10 to 15 houses on an acre of land. And now instead of having to go find 15 different flips, you've done all that with one development and three or four separate floor plans that your contractor's know how to do. And they've repeated that multiple times. So, um, that yeah, sense. that's, I, that, that it, it, and the, and the ambiguity and the questions with flips, obviously with a new build, you know exactly how many two by fours and how many nails you're gonna need for the whole house. And that's, yeah. you know, literally impossible to do with a flip just cause you, you'll never know that when you start opening up the walls. Yeah. 
that makes a lot of sense. So are you actually doing that now? You are buying land and sort of manufacturing a couple houses on a single plot? Yeah. So we are in the final phasing stages with the city and with our you know engineers yeah, to prep two pieces of property that we have that we're going to be doing um, yeah, new builds on. And, and they're small lots. I mean, we're building almost up to the lot lines on these on these places and and maximizing that density which maximizes you know your lot cost per dwelling which is you know you you can pay, again you can pay more for land but if you can get a lot of houses on there and create that density your cost per actual door can be dramatically less than the overall price for that house and if you're only being building one house on one lot yeah so what exactly are you building so i mean it's it's single family homes as well as condominiums and and townhome type type things okay Okay, cool. And is that in downtown San Antonio as well? Correct. Yeah. And, and, but again, that also goes back to the scalability because if I can, you know, master, we've got a couple of pieces of land in the pipeline that we'd be looking to acquire. And, and even that, you've created another little scalable business that I can take to other urban areas around Texas or even around the nation that now the only thing I'm limited on is, you know, finding a piece of land and buying something to build me the piece of property. If I know the numbers work and it costs roughly this much and that changed a little bit depending on where you are, but that allows you to create another scalable product that you can take around to a lot of different areas. Awesome. So you just touched on this a little bit, just with the development in general, but my question is just about in San Antonio in general. I, I You know, it's one of those cities you hear a lot about that is just booming. How have you seen the market change since you first started? I know it's only been three years, but, and how have you adjusted your strategy and how are you going to adjust in the future to account for future growth? It's wild. I literally feel so blessed to have landed in San Antonio of all the places and ended up wanting to start a real estate business here because I think Texas and, and San Antonio offers, you know, when you're young and you want to go somewhere cool and you visit New York or LA, you're like, I'm getting out of this little, you know, not little town, but comparatively small town. <laughs> But then you realize you can really develop something and be a little bit of a bigger fish in a small pond instead of a, a tiny fish in the giant ocean. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's changed dramatically. Where our downtown is probably, you know, I would say ten to fifteen to twenty years behind other cities of our size in terms of density and, and prices and stuff like that. And I mean, and I I'm still buying houses for you know thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars that are literally blocks from the middle of our downtown in some areas, which I think is a really unique and special opportunity. Yeah, that's amazing. That's awesome, man. Cool. I need to move to San Antonio. <laughs> <laughs> You're selling it pretty hard. It's, it's amazing. And I mean, but yeah, I mean, you just got to, you know, obviously look at where the trends are going and it, it freaks everyone out in the local area when there are dramatic price increases. But I think even looking a little more globally to other, you know, cities that are a couple of years ahead of us, Austin, you know, Denver, I would say, parts of Georgia and the Carolinas and stuff that have, have gone through this metamorphosis and this change. And you kind of see where these national benchmarks are. So, I mean, I, I invest pretty aggressively and, and pay more, you know, for properties at a time that at the moment they may not be worth that, but I just, I have a lot of confidence that we're heading in a good direction. And I did that with a building that was literally in no man's land three years ago when I bought it. And now we're in the middle of opening up a restaurant and a jazz club there. Yeah, the change is pretty amazing. You're saying you're you're personally in the middle of opening a restaurant and jazz club? Like so I'm not going to do it again. I don't want to be an operator. I yeah. do real estate, <laughs> but I own the property and we found a really neat person. So we're, um, yeah, to- totally a little bit of a different thing, but a great buy and hold asset. And so, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's been fun. That's fascinating. That's cool. That's cool. Well, so I asked you earlier about 
you know, looking back at your buy and hold, you know, the, the mistakes you made on that first fourplex. I'll ask you the same question though for your flipping. Like looking back now at your flipping the last few years, what what would you do differently if you could go back and do it again? Almost, almost some of the same things. I would say hiring someone that does construction full time and can take over management and manage that part of the business, whether that's you having to give them an equity stake in your company, whether, you know, you now have to decrease your margins from, you know, 50,000 to 30,000 a project. I think those things will make your life so much easier unless you love construction, right? If you get in this from that background and you like being boots on the ground, you like doing that. Fantastic. Keep doing it. That's not where I came from. And I don't think that's where a lot of real estate investors come from. And so taking those things that you are not necessarily specifically good at and finding people that can handle those save you so much time and frustration and just, I mean, really rookie mistakes of having, you know, doors open into room and instead of open against a wall. I, I never thought of that, you know, and it makes total duh sense when you, when you get into it. But those are the kind of rookie mistakes you make if you try and handle all that on your own without bringing in people that know how to do those kind of things. So that, that would definitely be one of them. And then really finding a sweet spot from too much improvement to too little improvement. And there's, you know, there's a huge range there with obviously flips and some people knock them out of the park and you put way too much into it and you're never going to get that much out of it. And some people just scrape by with whatever the bare minimum is and, and trying to judge your market and look at other comps in the area and figure out what is, you know, acceptable level for you. I've, I've done both, you know, you get excited and you want to way over improve it or you under improve and then it's on the market for a couple months longer than it should be. And you're getting frustrated. And so finding that happy minute, medium. And I think that's most easily found by just looking at comps and talking to realtors in your area. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, uh, my last question before we head on, I think to the fire round anyway, is uh, what's your end game? Like where are you headed next? What's your uh, plan, you know, five, 10, 20 years from now? You said you wanted to build a big business. Yeah. So I, I love real estate. I don't think that's changing anytime soon. I think the more I've learned about it, the more I've gotten excited about it and that there's just so many different aspects of real estate. Y'all are running a technology company, you know, in the real estate field. And that's such a unique aspect of real estate. And there's so many different things and there's so many different types of people that can work and do real estate successfully in completely different ways. I mean, stuff from even just purchasing property and rezoning it and replatting it and then selling it. I mean, there's just the options are really endless there. So I think helping to find to create housing in urban areas that's that's high quality, I think, we're still changing from density being the enemy to density being awesome and cool if done well. I mean, my family was, you know, I want a yard, I want my space. And a lot of millennials, I think, are, are not really realizing that that's something they necessarily want as much. They much prefer amenities and, and being in an area. And I think we all spend way too much time in our cars. And, you know, so finding those benefits the, from urban, urbanization and creating more density so that'll be cool. And then just seeing, you know, as, as technology continues to affect real estate, I think there's going to see some massive changes in the industry as a whole with, you know, who knows what, but I think that's going to be amazing to watch and see as technology really affects real estate. Yeah, that's awesome. I totally awesome. 100% agree. All right, well, cool. Well, hey, let, let's shift gears here and head over to the world famous Fire Round. It's time for the Fire Round. Listeners, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. They've rolled out proof of income verification. Let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. And if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for just $1. How great of a deal is that? That's one eighth of a Chipotle. That's pretty good. Visit rentready.com. 
That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I dot com and use the code BPINVESTOR. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, to get six months of rent ready for $1. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Take a second and imagine this. Immediate cash flow, above average rent, built-in equity, and a foolproof exit plan. No, it's not 2012 again. This is just what it's like to invest with Integra Development Group. They've simplified the real estate investing process so everyone can invest. With their new construction single-family rent-to-own homes, you'll get aggressively priced brand new properties that have tenants in place now in one of the fastest-growing states in America, Florida. Here's how IDG's rent-to-own strategy works. You get exclusive access to inventory with aggressive pricing thanks to IDG's builder-partner relationships. Then, invest and collect immediate cash flow with tenants already in place at or very close to closing. With the demand for new builds, your tenants pay above market rent, so you rake in more cash flow. And you'll get built-in equity and appreciation with an already agreed-to purchase price at year three, helping the tenants become homeowners while you build wealth. That's investing simplified. So secure your next investment property today with Integra Development Group at IntegraDG.com. That's IntegraDG.com to start investing today. You've heard us talk about it before. High interest rates are crushing real estate investors, leaving even some of the best investors in need of funding now. But with today's liquidity crisis, who can fill the demand? With Fundrise, America's largest direct-to-investor alternative asset manager, you have the opportunity to. Fundrise's new opportunistic private credit strategy was designed specifically for this new market environment. Fundrise supplies high-demand bridge financing on high-quality assets with credit-worthy borrowers. Top real estate investors get the funding they need while you walk away getting paid a healthy interest rate. To date, Fundrise has completed more than $500 million worth of private credit deals with an average net interest of 10.8%, and they've already amassed a pipeline worth more than $300 million. Don't sit on the sidelines. You can take advantage of this unique window of opportunity while it lasts with Fundrise's new private credit strategy. Ready to start? Go to Fundrise.com pockets to learn more. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash pockets. This is a paid endorsement for Fundrise. Past performance is not indicative of future results. All investments can lead to loss. 
So let's get into this thing. These are the fire on questions. They come direct out of the bigger pockets forums, which means real actual users are asking these questions in the forums and guys like Chris here and hundreds of thousands of other people are reading and answering questions and asking questions and hanging out in the forum. So if you want your question answered on the bigger pockets podcast, or at least by somebody who's smarter and you know better looking than the three of us, go to biggerpockets.com slash forums. <laughs> and there's a lot of people there helping out all the time. So anyway, let's get to this thing. Question number one, for a newbie flipper, what should I look out for when it comes to structural or foundation problems? Ooh, well, make sure you can fix them. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, I might have a little bit of a different opinion on that because of where I come from and the, the comprehensiveness of the rehabs we do. But I've really concluded almost anything is repairable and it just comes to kind of what the price is and it does that make sense. But I mean, it freaks people out and whether or not it's actually as big a deal as people think it is, it scares your end buyer. And so figuring out, you know, what needs to happen to fix the problems, I think having a warranty from whoever fixes your problems, you know, you can get a guy to level level your house for, you know, whatever per peer, but what's where's it gonna be if there's an issue or something shifts or changes? So I think definitely trying to find people that warranty their work would be one of the biggest things you can do to protect yourself from from lawsuits and problems further down the road once you've sold the house, but also just developing and and sending off and completing really quality products that that you're going to be proud of. Awesome. That's great advice. Question number two, straight from the Bigger Pockets forums. What is the earliest age you would recommend an investor start investing? And what is the minimum amount of experience they have under their belts? I don't think there really is a minimum age. I started really looking at real estate very seriously when I was like 17, 18, and I was reading, you know, reading books and, you know, self-educating on YouTube and watching and listening to podcasts and watching forums and everything like that. And, um, you know, pulled the trigger probably a little bit earlier than some people are willing to, but I would say, you know, the, the amounts you learn, you know, don't just purchase a deal just to do something, but really be aware of getting over analyzing stuff because that will happen forever if you let it. And so, you know, create the team, find some people, you know, at least one person that knows a little bit more than you do. But, you know, try to get in there and start doing something. I think that's where more people than almost anything else get hung up with real estate or anything else in life is just don't don't overanalyze, learn, but then be willing to jump off the cliff and into a pile of boards and debris <laughs> <your> project. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Next question. How do I know if I should start with flipping, renting, or wholesaling? Oh, boy. How do you know? I, I think whatever, I mean, I would maybe whoever is closest to you that is good at one of those things, I would say, could be a good answer. I don't think there is a perfect answer. I've done very little wholesaling. I know a lot of newbie investors, that's something that a lot of people tell them to begin with. And I've, I found that to be a fairly difficult part of the business because you're having to find deals that are better than the investors that are looking for the deals. And then you got to pass those on to people. So the the myth that wholesaling is this easy thing, you just put some bird signs all over the place and you're getting people calling you with these stupid deals. It's just not, I certainly haven't found that to be the case. So, and and there's definitely, there's a time, there's definitely some financial component to that as well. But if you have any sort of a construction background, I think flipping can be a great, great place to start. And I would really recommend people not start with single family rentals unless there's a very specific reason that we haven't talked about from some of the stuff we said earlier with managing and just the, the scalability issues with single family rentals. I think they can be very difficult at times. Awesome. All right. Last question for the fire round. I've been looking for deals for months and can't find anything worth offering on. I'm getting frustrated. What am I doing wrong? 
There's a couple of things. Obviously, it could be some markets aren't as conducive to real estate investing. I was talking to a friend of mine who was visiting from Australia, and he said, literally, what you're doing in San Antonio is what happened in the part of Australia that he's living in like 60 years ago. He's like, flipping doesn't happen in Australia in this area anymore just because of the way prices and and you know government structure, et cetera. So, I mean, some areas just aren't going to be necessarily conducive. But I think with real estate being so broad, I, I would say there is a type of real estate in pretty much every single market that is viable to invest in. And so maybe changing your strategy and saying instead of I'm looking for, you know, instead of looking for a single family flip or single family rental, you know, would land acquisition and rezoning work? That's absolutely a type of real estate. Would replatting work? Would, you know, an auxiliary business to help other developers um, and you could begin learning before you actually pull the deal or pull the trigger on your particular deal. So get educated in your area, but then get really creative and trying to find the niches. There's there's overlooked niches everywhere, I think. I don't think there's anywhere that's not. I mean, student housing, you know, if these prices are too expensive, you can take and convert properties into student housing and get amazing rates per, you know, per room, not even per door. Now it's per door in the house. And um, <laughs> so maybe maybe just tr- changing your strategy a little bit. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic answer. Yeah, I mean, every area is good for something probably. So find somebody in your area who's who's succeeding, and then find out what they're doing. Because you know, yeah. I hear people all the time are like, "Yeah, I just can't flip here." I'm like, "Well, are there any flippers in your area?" Well, sure. Well, okay. When well, they're you're lying, well, <laughs> like, they they, yeah, they must, <laughs> they're doing something. So don't tell me you can't do it because people are doing it. So all right, yeah. anyway, love that. All right, so moving on, let's get to our final four questions, which we lovingly call our famous four. All right, these are the same four questions we ask every guest every week, and we're going to throw them at you, Chris. So number one, what is your favorite real estate-related book? I think I was, yeah, giving that some consideration. I'm sure this has been mentioned multiple times, but Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad Advisors book, The Advanced Guide to Real Estate Investing, is really comprehensive. Going back to changing your strategy, he talks about like 10 or 11 different strategies and different people doing different parts of real estate that are all working on his team. And that was definitely a mind-blowing book when the first time I read it, I've read it a couple times and own it in audio as well as digital as well as print form. But um, (laughs) a good one to refer back to and when you're thinking about creating a team and thinking about, okay, what's a unique type of real estate I could do? I think that touches on a lot of really, and it goes beyond just a lot of the traditional advice that you'll see out there. It goes, dives a little bit deeper. So that was a really good one for me. And what about more generally, not necessarily real estate specific? Do you have a favorite business book? So the business books I keep coming back to are biographies of other successful business people. And because I would consider myself an entrepreneur who does real estate, not necessarily just a real estate person. So I just finished the book about Jeff Bezos and the founding of Amazon. That was really fantastic. Um, Snowball about Warren Buffett or the, the snowball effect, something like that. Warren Buffett's fantastic book. The uh, biography about Elon Musk is super inspirational, blow your mind. But yeah, I, I love finding, finding the stories of people who are doing what I would want to do and then trying to pull the little gems out of those. That's That's awesome. awesome. I love that answer. I think that's really good advice. All right. So what about for fun when you're not doing real estate? What are you up to? Oh, man. Riding motorcycles, horses, barrel racing, all the... No, not really. All All right. Yeah, you're bringing your Western (laughs) side out now. (laughs) It is Texas, but we don't all ride horses badly. The fun if there's a hitching post out front of my house. Yeah, staying active, doing doing motorcycles. different car projects, paintball, you name it. We're, we're having fun down here. Nice. You, you, you know, you said you had a film, a film business. Do you still do film, video, multimedia, anything even with your real estate or without? Yeah. So we have definitely continued doing the film work. And that was, you know, when people 
hear filming real estate other than HGTV and do-it-yourself shows. They don't really sound like they go together, but I've, I've found that is it's actually has been huge in my business because I very specifically try to chronicle in a higher quality video format and really use video to educate other realtors and people in my local market about what I'm doing. And we just, you know, shot a film for a house that we just finished flipping and did a drone shot and everything. And it got over 5,000 views on Facebook in the first, you know, week or so. Nice. And, you know, the amount of exposure that does to going back to your network, I think is huge when you're talking to, you know, investors, people who might be interested in working with you, you know, the marketing side of things can definitely get neglected if you're, you know, and again, in the weeds of things, but if you can find people to handle some of those other stuff, you can sit back and say, oh, what can I do to really market and grow my business and educate people about what I'm doing. And I've film has been huge for that. And and definitely is a differentiating factor that I've seen very few real estate professionals using in a really successful way. So yeah, that's cool. I mean, it's kind of a competitive advantage, you know, like, or an unfair advantage, something that you got and like, I mean, not that like you're the only one with it, but like it's something that you use to stand out from the competition. I think that's solid. Oh yeah. And, and you can talk about, I mean, again, going back to, there's so many things. I mean, there's videos of us demoing stuff and final walkthroughs and framing and sheetrock and, and everything in between. And so there's so many parts of the real estate business you could educate people on or educate potential investors or people bringing you deals or wholesalers and, and just letting people know that you're really serious about this. You know, if you've got a bunch of videos up there, you've obviously been doing it a little while and, and you're not, you're not going anywhere. So they'll feel more comfortable bringing you deals or approaching you. Yeah. You know, on the Bigger Pockets webinar we have each week, um, one of the things I, I mention a lot is to uh, certain people on Bigger Pockets, pro members specifically, can have a profile video on their Bigger Pockets profile. And I always mm-hmm. emphasize, like, if you are a pro member, and I'll say this here just like I do on the webinar, if you are a pro member, you don't have a video on your profile, you're missing out on one of the greatest, like, trust building tools in the world. Like, video yeah. is so good for building trust. Like, when people, like, see a picture of somebody on Bigger Pockets, it's one thing. You see a video and you're like, oh, that's a real person. That's not some, Yep. you know, guy living in a foreign country who's trying to scam yep. me. It's like, that's a real guy. Yep. He's really doing it. Yeah. So, yep. I mean, just a, uh, just a simple way. I take your iPhone out or your smartphone, record a video yourself and, and throw it up on your bigger pockets profile. Uh, so anyway. and just the number of people yeah. that will know what you do is, I mean, I've yeah. holiday season, I go to Christmas parties and see people I haven't seen in literally over a year, sometimes years. And they're like, Hey, I just saw your video on yeah. Facebook or YouTube. And they're like, that's super cool. You're like on HGTV. And so it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty, it's a fun way to connect with people and, and educate them about what you're doing. So yeah, I love that. I love it. Well, cool. Well, my final question of the day, what do you believe sets apart successful investors from all those who give up, fail, or just never get started? Overanalyzing things, I would say, is a huge part of it. I've never worked for anyone, which is kind of a weird part about me. I've always, you know, done my own thing or worked for myself in some form or capacity. So, you know, becoming comfortable with the unknown is is huge. And I think with real estate, that's absolutely the case because you're talking about numbers that, you know, for the average person who doesn't do real estate, they're just insane. I mean, I was I thought it was crazy when I looked at my account. We're regularly spending over a hundred thousand dollars on month on rehabs, and that just never sounds <laughs> it sounds crazy to me still, but it becomes so much more manageable once you get into it, once you're doing it. So not overanalyzing to the point of not pulling the trigger on something is is huge. And then yeah, not I mean and not continuing to learn. I, I mean I I just got back from a conference in Dallas about an aspect of real estate that I was wanting to learn and learn about and, you know, continuing to look for those next steps and don't become, you know, comfortable. If you get really good at flipping, don't become comfortable with your five or 10 flips a year or whatever your number is. Say, if you want to keep growing and you want to have an ever expanding business, finding those next, those next steps. And for me, that was, you know, going from the, the flipping to the new builds and, and looking at that. So. Yeah. I love it. 
Great advice. All right. Well, thanks a lot, man. Where can people find out more about you? Probably the easiest and most active place that I'm at is probably on Facebook. And you can go to Chris F, as in my middle name, Franklin Gill, Chris F. Gill on Facebook. And I'm on there, but you can you can use that same username on Instagram or Snapchat or YouTube and otherwise. So and I'll, I'll pop in there and yeah, love cool. to love to connect and talk about this. I live, breathe, eat, sleep this stuff. So it's That's fun. Awesome. <laughs> and we'll link to your Facebook and all your social media accounts at uh, biggerpockets.com slash show two zero four. So you can find everything there. Four. Cool. <laughs> all right. Well, Chris, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for you know taking time out of your busy schedule to meet with us and talk to us about your journey. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Thanks it. Thanks a lot, Chris. See you around. See you around. Thanks. All right, and that was our show with uh, Chris Gill. Man, awesome show. Another, uh, I, I, I love talking to these young guys that are just crushing it in real estate. These guys are very you know, motivating. This show and next week's show, uh, we recorded both of those today. Just amazing. Yeah, to be clear, we did record them both today. We didn't yeah. just coordinate the same outfit <laughs> one week apart. But yeah, Chris is a really smart dude. He knows what he's talking about. He really knows how to talk the talk. You could get a lot of sense of his own confidence and that yeah, he's destined for even greater things than he's already achieved. Yeah, that's true. And you know, one thing we didn't harp on in the show or talk about, uh, but I wanted to bring up, I just forgot, was he made this comment about how on his first few flips, he was there a lot. Like he was really connected. And I, I think there, like we should have touched on it because I think that was one of the keys, like reasons he's successful today is because yeah, he didn't know anything about construction. He didn't know how to fix up properties or estimate rehab costs, but he was obsessive about being there present and wanted to learn that stuff. So he, he learned it, you know, I think that's cool. Absolutely. He's a student of the industry for sure. You could tell yeah. he loves learning from different people. He's clearly read a bunch of books and is very active in the community and is just absorbing as much knowledge as he can. And it certainly shows in how successful he's been. Yeah, very true. Very true. All right. Well, let's get out of here. You know, one thing I'm going to miss, Dave, about your, uh, you know, recording with you and Josh here in your current office, because next week you're in the uh, new office or, you know, the week yes. after, is the random people that walk in the background and I see them back. I there. know. Yeah. And like, they're all trying to, you can't see, they're trying to distract me because there's a really? glass wall <laughs> over here. And like Rebecca's coming by and like doing the, like, <laughs> the Austin Powers thing in the background. But That's awesome. I think they, they haven't gotten me too badly yet. That's funny. That's funny. Well, Anyway, all right. Well, let's get out of here. And uh, next week, again, you guys will hear another episode with another young investor who's really crushing it. So make sure you listen next week. And uh, with that, you want to take us out? All right. Thanks, everyone. And uh, we'll see you next week on the Bigger Pockets podcast. All right. This is Brandon and Dave Meyer signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the BiggerPockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it? 
optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants. All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming small multifamily bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the small multifamily bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.